0: Welcome to Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space with your host, Denise Kagan. Denise is the president of DCA Virtual Business Support and has been a business owner for almost 20 years. DCA Virtual Business Support provides small businesses with an expert pairing of virtual administrative and marketing assistance to match your needs. Learn more at dcavirtual.com.
1: Malcolm Dawes is the most sought after authority on people performance and effectiveness. He's a recognized expert in showing people how to increase their interaction effectiveness through behavioral change. For many years, Malcolm has experienced firsthand the struggles senior executives face with accelerating the performance of their team. He's appeared on a host of radio and TV interviews, and he is an author. In his latest book, Team Performance, Why Can't We All Get Along? Malcolm dispels 10 myths that many senior executives have about unlocking the true potential of their teams. Welcome to the show, Malcolm.
0: Thank you, Denise. Good to be with you.
1: I am so excited. So, you know, we're we're meeting here. It's 8 a.m. for me, and I think it's about 10 p.m. for you because we're
0: a world apart, literally. (laughs) Indeed.
1: Tell me about your beautiful background.
0: Um, So, yeah, I'm talking to you from Sydney uh, in Australia, which, as you say, is uh, 10 p.m. on Thursday, 8 a.m. your Thursday. My background shows uh, two, uh, I guess, the most iconic parts of uh, Australia, certainly of Sydney. Uh, of the uh, Sydney Opera House and Sydney Harbour Bridge. Harbour Bridge was built in 1923, well ahead of its time, eight lanes of traffic when there's still horse and carts in Sydney at the time. Wow. Um, there were some cars, of course, but it's now got two train tracks and eight lanes of traffic, but it was built and hasn't been grown since. And of course, the iconic Opera House. So yeah, that's my background.
1: Perfect. And I noticed that um, you're also, you do some volunteer work in, in your local area. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I work for uh, or volunteer for the New South Wales uh, Rural Fire Service, which is the largest volunteer fire service in the world. 75,000 volunteer members, I think. Um, About 50 of whom are uh, over there in uh, the US and Canada at the moment fighting the fires. Um, So I've been with them for for 10 years, Um, recently promoted to deputy captain and um, was heavily involved in the in the, in the really bad fires we had here in 2019, 2020, your winter, uh, our mm-hmm. summer, which unfortunately you're experiencing there once again in, in the U.S. So, you know, I, I, I really enjoy doing that. It sounds a bit crazy that you should enjoy doing it, but it's uh, something that I feel I, I give back to Australia. I'm from the U.K. originally, so uh, I feel it's something that um, gives back to the community that that sort of welcomed me into Australia 20 years ago.
1: That's fantastic. I think it's a great idea for business owners to find some balance with doing things in their community. Um, you know, and not everybody has time, so they do it in different ways. But I think that's awesome that you do that.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I, and, and you're right. It's um, it is a, it is a balance. Um, you know, I've got family. Um, I've got kids who are all grown up now, but it's it's still getting that balance. Um, and I, I think there are aspects of my business life and my volunteer life that uh, are very closely linked, especially around leadership and working with other people. So, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy that aspect.
1: So that's a great segue for us to start talking about your book. Tell me about the title, uh, Team Performance, Why Can't We All Get Along? How'd you choose that title?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a book which really reflects, I guess, all my years in in, in business. I started my career... A long time ago, as a, as a nurse, always wanted to be a doctor, but didn't do so well at school. So I um, started as a nurse, went into the pharmaceutical industry as a, as a sales representative, selling medicines, but always had a passion for training and working with people. So I um, progressed uh, management and so on. And the book really looks at team performance and reflects the experiences I had, both as a team member, uh, as, a, as a manager of people, and also more recently, um, by recently, I mean the last 20 years, (laughs) working with all sorts of teams in all sorts of industries, large and small, and looking at the things that managers try and do to get their teams to work together, to perform. Um, So the title, Team Performance, Why Can't We All Get Along? is really, well, every manager, every team leader wants their people to get together, work together and perform. But there's something that doesn't quite you know, hit the mark, um, and and the, the the book really is ten really short chapters about, I guess, the myths uh, of of management and what people try and I've tried in my career and I've observed other people, other managers try to get their their, their people to work together, um, and unfortunately, those things often fail. And there's several examples I could give you, but um, those, those things that everybody tries. Um, but doesn't, but don't, as I say, don't quite hit the mark. So the book sort of talks about, okay, you've tried this. Well, maybe there's something else you could do or should do or you could try in terms of being a, a stronger leader.
1: Could you give me one of those examples? Because I'd like to just kind of compare it to what I'm yeah. doing.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I think one of the examples I would give um, would be, I guess the classic one is when a manager says to his or her team, hey, guys, let's all get together and have a team-building event. Let's go 10-pin bowling, or let's go laser shoot, or paintballing. Those sort of things, I guess, you have in the U.S., the same as we have in Australia, the same as we have in other parts of the world. So everybody goes, yeah, let's do that. So they all go to the tempin bowling. So they go to the bowling alley, and um, the idea is to unite the team, is to get a team to work together. And the first thing that the manager says is, that, okay, you three work together, you're team A and you three work together, your team B, and before you know where you are, this team, which is supposed to be united, is now pitted against each other. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong in having a social event and having some fun and having some competition between people within an organization or people within a team. But if you dress it up as a team-building event, it fails because what you hear in your head is hey we're going to work together we're going to be stronger as a team and by the end of two hours in a bowling lane and especially if you've had a few beers as well everybody's saying well we beat you um same as the sort of corporate exercises the corporate training which um i've been involved with over the years you know let's build a raft and get from one side of the river to the next and everybody builds a raft and it's competing against each other So those are the sort of you know that's a a real sort of simple uh, example where I guess many people have experienced that that, what I might call enforced fun. Um, The idea being we get together, we build a team, but we actually compete against each other. Another example that's not the mindset
1: that you want to instill if you're trying to team build. No,
0: no. As I say, there's nothing wrong with having social events, whether it's you know barbecues, going to the movie. Building a raft, having fun. That's, there's nothing wrong in that, but if if a manager tries to put it uh, or, or dress it up as a team building event, and there's a lot of companies out there that say we do team building, but actually it, I see it often as team dividing because people say I I was I didn't work well against these guys and we fought and and and, and another one is uh, another myth is where people do. All sorts of diagnostic tools. They uh, they do uh, interpersonal skills things where they they give somebody a questionnaire, and you may have done it yourself, Denise. You fill in a questionnaire and say, "Here's your let's find out your personality traits." And you fill in the questionnaire and you get the results, and you go, "Wow, that's so like me." Well, of course it's like you because you filled it in, <laughs> and so then. People say, and I I run workshops on interpersonal skills and emotional intelligence and so on. And what we try and do is to get feedback from others. And in fact, only this morning, Sydney time, 5 p.m. New York time, um, I was talking to a client of mine in New York, and um, we were giving them some feedback on a diagnostic tool where they get their self-perception and others' perception. Mm. And it's quite amazing because your self-perception says one thing, but others say something else. So another one of the myths I talk about in the book is if you want some feedback, get feedback from other people, get feedback Mm -hmm. from those people that you work with um, and maybe that report to you if you're a leader or a manager, because it gives you a much broader um, uh, perspective of of how people see you and how you lead and how you manage and how you work with them. Because a self-perception measure is what you see in yourself, um, which may be Accurate to a degree. There is research which suggests it's about 33 to 35% accurate when you compare it to what other people see in you. You
1: know, we we use a um, it's more of like a communication assessment versus personality traits. Though some personality traits are included in it. And it's not work style, but we use something, it's very simple called people styles. It basically breaks people up into four different, you know, you're you're a director, an expressive, an analytic or an amiable. I'm a director, not surprised. I'm a business owner. Okay. and most of my we've got people in all all quadrants so it's not a pass fail type of assessment at all sure. but it is a self assessment and it's interesting that you say getting other people's perspective because that's something that we talked about and i think we might need to go ahead and do that to make sure that hey the way especially leadership the way we've assessed ourselves this is actually how the team sees us okay and if there's mismatches trying to you know figure out why there's mismatches and, and reconcile that that.
0: It's I'll, a critical. Sorry, Denise. No, I, you're I, fine. I, I it's it's a it's a critical point, and it's a good one that you make. That um, I, I've worked uh, in in many organisations and done all sorts of diagnostics, and the one that you mentioned there about expressives and amiables and so on is a, is a well-known uh, tool, and it's it's valid from the point of view that you fill in your self perception. But the interesting thing is there that um, and in in the book I mentioned about what I call a badge of honour. You wear the badge on your chest, which says, okay, I'm, and in some models, this, this, uh, the, the term driver or mm-hmm. initiator, or <laughs> in some models, it's a color and it's red. Uh, and I, I remember vividly working with a team once, and, um, a guy came up to me and he said, well, well, I came out as, as a, as a, as a red, as a, as a driver, as a real sort of, um, dominant individual as a disc you may have heard of disc as yes, well yes um, i think i is think I show high with that too <laughs> yeah. um and I, I write about it in the book because it's another one of those myths where if you do a self-perception measure you wear the badge of honor that says i'm dominant i'm tough i'm a go-getter i'm results focused and i i tell it like it is and you you've just got to get over that and you've just got to accept me for what i am Now, the the downside, I'm not saying that that's what you do, but (laughs) it it was an example to me of of a self-perception, which says, here's what I think I am. The feedback, the form that I filled in reinforces that. So I then go out to my colleagues to maybe if I'm a leader, to the people that I work with and say, you've got to deal with me. My philosophy is the other way around. It says, okay, if I know I'm You know, dominant, or 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 more quiet, or I'm more analytical, or I'm more friendly or amiable, whatever terminology you want to use. I need to understand my behaviour, but then I also need to change and adapt and be flexible with my behaviour towards somebody else. So, as you say, Denise, you 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 see yourself as perhaps a little bit more direct, a bit more of a driver. Uh, You're a business owner, Um, so. And, and that's fine. Uh, you know, you don't need to be a driver to be a business owner. No, not um, at all. <laughs> I own a big, no, but <clears throat> I think, you know, to me, the, 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 the key here or the technique, and it's not a trick, it's actually a skill, is to say, OK, if I recognize that Denise is more of a, a, a driver or a dominant or a direct person, what do I need to do to communicate with Denise mm-hmm. so that we have a better communication, we have less conflict, we have more productivity, And there's just a bit of harmony in the workplace. Absolutely. So the tool we use actually does
1: do that. It talks about how how to modify your behavior. Me being a driver, yes, I tend to be very direct and how to kind of tone that down a little bit, especially with people with different styles. You know, the ones across the the left side of the chart, you know, they prefer less direct. So I have to be careful. You know, I can't say, hey, did you do this? It's due today. Like, hey, tell me about the progress on this. It's a minor modification. I'm asking the same thing, though.
0: Absolutely. And <clears throat> behavior flexibility, as, I, as I, I use the term behavior flexibility, is it's a little bit like um, tuning a radio. So we all have our preferred style. We all get up in the morning and, you know, you get up in the morning. I get up in the morning. We all get up and say, hey, let's do the best thing we can. Nobody gets up in the morning and tries to annoy other people. I don't think we purposely go out and do that. But we just do because of our behavior, because of our style. And this flexibility thing, the tuning of the radio, um, many years ago, uh, you used to tune a radio by turning a dial. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, Nowadays, you just push a button and it finds all the stations and (laughs) presets it for you. But, you know, you remember uh, your listeners and and the people that listen to the podcasts will remember turning a dial perhaps and a tiny little adjustment on the dial um, from that of so white noise, a tiny little turn on the dial makes a massive difference when you find your favorite station, mm-hmm. whatever, whether it's country music or whether it's rock and roll or jazz or whatever. And what you've just described there is a, a is the same thing. It's a very tiny adjustment to your language, to your terminology, which can make a huge difference to the outcome of a conversation. So, you know, all those things around behaviors and understanding other people, um, is critical, but I find that in many organisations, through no fault of their own, um, tend to spend a lot of their dollar, uh, training and development dollar, on technical and, and, and knowledge skills or sort of technical knowledge areas, I should say, around their particular business, rather than those skills which help us to work together as as, as human beings and as uh, members of a team.
1: And your company, DTA Worldwide, does that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We, we um, I guess we're a little bit different in so much that, you know, if you were to look at what we do, we, we look at leadership development, we look at team performance, um, but it's not just telling people about here's a skill, which is about how to work it as a member of a team. We, we sort of pare it back a little bit, we sort of strip it away a little bit and get people to think about themselves as a human being. Um, I always remember one of the first jobs I had when I left nursing was, as I mentioned earlier on, Uh, was to be a medical representative. I remember the managing director taking a group of us to the window when we were on training, took us to the window of the building overlooking the car park. And he said, what do you see? And we said, well, cars is a car park. We see cars. And he said, "Okay. so what does that represent? And we said, people coming to work. Sure. And he said, what happens when the cars go away? He said, well, there's no people here. And he said, so what does that represent? Well, there's no people, so there's no work being done. He said, correct. And it doesn't matter what business you're in, whether you're selling medicines, whether you're selling plants, whether you're selling Sydney Opera House or whatever, um, a business only works if you've got people in it who work together. And so what we do at DTA Worldwide is to try and get people to understand themselves from an emotional intelligence point of view uh, and from a behavioral point of view, and how they can work more effectively with people in their teams. So whilst we talk about leadership and teamwork and sales, it's about that sort of the less tangible things. It's not about closing a sale. It's not about setting objectives. It's not about writing a process or setting a budget or writing objectives if you're a manager. Those things are are critical and vital and are important. But as each individual manager and leader works with different people in their teams, how do they do that to the best effect by using, you know, their beliefs, their emotions, and their behaviors? That's what we do at DTA Worldwide.
1: So, hmm. so you come in and you work with leadership, not with the whole team. Mostly with leadership, is that correct?
0: Um, well, it's a very good question, <laughs> um, which I might expect, Denise, because that you're the you're the person asking the question. Um, I I have a I have a view which is. Um, Anybody can be a leader. Anybody in any role can be a leader. In fact, some of the best people I've come across uh, in terms of their leadership capability are not necessarily classic or traditional managers or managers of people. Um, I believe that any manager of people must be a leader. But you can be a leader without being a manager. I agree to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, and in fact, I, I referred to it earlier on today. The, uh, I, I was speaking to some uh, people in New York, virtually, as we are now, um, 7 a.m. my time, uh, and three people, we were giving some leadership results. We have a leadership diagnostic called the Leadership Effectiveness and Development System. And not one of those people um, is a manager of people, yet they have a, a, a team leader who is, uh, believes that leadership is vital. Because if everybody displays leadership, they can work within their own team, they can work across teams, and they can work interdepartmentally and indeed with external and internal stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So, in answer to your question, yeah, we work with leaders, but how do you define a leader? I define a leader as somebody who, I guess it comes from Jim Collins, I think, or, or maybe somebody else. Um, there's a definition which says that leadership stems from personal humility. Not positional strength or power.
1: I like that. Leadership so comes from personal humility personal rather humility. than strength
0: or power. So it, yeah, it's 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 about what you possess as a human being, not what it says on your business card or on your door or on your desk plate. It's what you bring to the job that you do. It's your and, I, and I, it was Jim Collins who talks about the. The paradox, Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great and other books, um, he writes about the paradox of, of high level leadership being that it is a, a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. The professional will being that thing which I guess is more aligned to management, you know, the achievement of objectives, the achievement of outcomes, um, profit, market share, share growth, etc., uh, and, and business growth. And the paradoxical uh, blend of, of that with personal humility. And I think that leaders are people that, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a classic phrase, which is leaders are those people that when things go wrong, look in the mirror. And they look in the mirror at themselves and say, What did I do that made this go wrong? And what do I need to do to put it right? Whereas people who, are, who don't fall into that category don't look in the mirror, they go, Whose fault was it? And they apportion blame. They're pointing the finger of blame to somebody else. And that's very common, sadly, in society. And I, I, I believe that the, the what used to be the leaders in, in our communities globally, politicians, sports people, business people, celebrities, we've lost that leadership there. You know, just look around you and, you know, everybody's being brought to book, as it were. Um, and the other thing about leadership is when something goes right, They look at and look at the people that created the thing that went right. In other words, they say, hey, Denise, it was your work that enabled us to achieve this outcome, to complete the project on time within budget, to ensure that the client got the best outcome. They don't take the praise for themselves. And I'm sure you, like I, like your listeners, will know of many occasions where They've been sat in a meeting or at an event where the leader takes well, not the leader, the manager takes the praise for themselves. They mm-hmm. say, I did this, I achieved that. Well, no, it wasn't them, it was somebody in their team. So those best leaders are the ones that to use that phrase again, is it's not about positional power, it's about personal humility. It's not about um, taking the praise for themselves, but giving the credit where credit is due. And when things go wrong. They accept it as their accountability, and I think accountability is something that uh, is sadly missing in many parts of leadership at the moment. You know, um, everybody tries to pass the buck to somebody else.
1: It is fortunately accountability and humility can be learned. Uh, I know myself as a young leader, I had great operational skills. That's always been there. I did lack those other things though, but along the way, I had to learn them because, you know, again, self-reflecting, looking at, hmm, I just did that, said that, that didn't go over well. What can I do better? So that self-reflection is super important.
0: It is. Um, And I think many of us get into jobs because of our technical ability, because of our knowledge.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And, you know, we do very well. And classically, what happens in many organizations is Uh, And you see it all the time in sales. I was a salesperson after I left nursing when I was a medical representative. um, And you saw it classically in the sales environment in the pharmaceutical industry where I worked, but also in other um, sales industries and across other organizations as well. And that's to say, where you're a a good technical operator, you've got good knowledge, whether that be in sales or whether that be in uh, IT or human resources, you're, you're a good technology person i.e., you know your trade you know what you're doing and then somebody comes along and says hey denise hey malcolm you're doing such a great job we'll make you into a manager and then all of a sudden you're not just a manager we want you to be a leader and nobody gets any development and nobody gets any skills are totally different (laughs) (laughs) totally different and i've seen so many brilliant brilliant uh you know practitioners people that are technically expert in in IT, in engineering, in sales, um, being given management roles because they're brilliant at what they do. Uh, And they take the jobs because it's great credibility. They get a promotion. Mm -hmm. It looks good to their family and friends. And, hey, they get more money and probably a bigger car. Mm -hmm. You know, cars are not as important these days, you know, in, in environmentally friendly times. but. You know what I mean, but those people often flounder. They struggle because there hasn't been that leadership development. There hasn't been that understanding. And again, I refer just to my meeting twelve hours ago, um, where this this lady was really, really promoted by her manager, who was also on the call. And she said, "Hey, I've worked with this lady before, and she's brilliant. She's a brilliant." Um, this was in a legal organisation, and. I gave her her leadership results and they were low. Uh, And I said to her, Have you had any leadership training? No, never. Have you had any leadership development? Never. Have you ever been? Never. And I said, Okay, that's brilliant because you now got a set of results from your peers and from people that work with you who say, Hey, here's some areas for you to develop. And it's a classic example of a great practitioner in a legal division knows the work, knows the job, knows the industry. Now being given an opportunity to become a leader and needs to develop that. Uh, and I think there's you know a, a great responsibility on organizations to have some sort of succession planning and to help people to get to those you know easy steps, easier steps towards leadership um, before they get put into those roles. But again, it's it's one of those things that tends to fall between the cracks, if you know what I mean. Um, everybody spends their their training dollar on the the widget, the idea, the 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 technical piece of knowledge rather than all those skills which wrap around us, which we all need. And and especially in this last 18 months, the number of times I've been called in the last 18 months to help with emotional intelligence and resilience and, Hey, how do we get through this and how do we cope? And those are the things we should be doing all the time, not just in in times of difficulty, like we've all been experiencing globally with with the pandemic.
1: Absolutely. So one last question. So a company wants to promote from within. Okay, I think that's a great thing to do. Sure, but clearly, you know, the practitioner moving them up to leadership isn't necessarily going to work. What do they need to do as far as planning, and how long should they expect to take to develop that person? You know, is it three months, six months, two years? You know, what what should a business owner realistically expect there?
0: Wow, great question. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess yeah. In answer to the how long should it take? I guess it depends on a number of factors. Uh, it depends on the ability of the person, their drive and desire. I believe that any organisation, and just going back to our conversation before, or at the early part of our, our conversation around my my role as a as a firefighter, um, you know, I, I I'm in a brigade of sixty or seventy people, ranging from I guess seventeen years of age, and I think our eldest member is seventy four years old. And even in that volunteer organization, we need to have a succession plan. Uh, I mentioned that I, I've just been promoted uh, back in, in June to a, a deputy captain, a, a sort of an officer of rank. Uh, I've been in the brigade for 10 years. Now, without going into all the detail, there needs to be a succession plan which says, OK, what does this person need to do from the day they join to the day that they want to become a deputy captain or a senior captain or a group captain and so on? And the same as in any organization, the organization needs to have a plan which says, OK, we need X number of managers or leaders. We've got so many uh, people in the organization. And let's say there's a ratio of one manager to six to 10 people, depending which organization you're in. And over a period of time, people are going to leave, move on, get promoted, et cetera. So the, the answer to your question, I guess, is it's how long's a piece of string? rather than a, a period of time which says it's going to take me three six 12 18 months to train somebody you start giving them those skills and expose them to things like leadership early on as I said you and I agreed before you can be a leader without being a manager so exposing people to leadership concepts to things like interpersonal flexibility to things like teamwork to things like emotional intelligence to things like innovation and creativity exposing people to those things early on. How do I counsel somebody? How do I work with them? How do I mentor them? As soon as we do that, then your succession plan is a step-by-step process, which is relatively straightforward. And it's not, you know, this week you do this and next week you do that. It becomes this, it becomes part of the, the fabric of the organization. And one of the things I think that under, there's two things I think that underpin that. One is interpersonal skills, the ability, as we talked earlier on about, recognizing behaviors and adapting your your own behavior towards the other. And the second one is feedback, creating a culture of feedback. And rather than feedback seeing, being seen as criticism or praise, it's simply uh, a conversation. It's something where you could say to me, hey, Malcolm, I enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed the interview. But what I thought would have been better is if you were to say that. And I might say, yeah, I agree with you there, Denise. I'll think about that next time. But Perhaps if, you know, we had decided to do this beforehand or, do you know what I mean? It's that sort of ongoing conversation. But at the moment, in many organizations, it's just missing. So there's this do your job, do your job, do your job, get better at IT, get better at engineering, get better at manufacturing, get better at putting the, you know, the plug into the hole to create a piece of material that we sell. Instead of saying there's all this other stuff that goes on around. I, I don't know if that answers your question. It's a it bit does.
1: A, <laughs> it, it tells me a lot of communication and pre planning versus how yeah. long is it going to take to get this person from point A to point B.
0: And I guess, you know, if you know what point A looks like and you know what point B looks like, it makes it easier to do that. The The time it takes to get there is, in, is dependent upon the person's desire to want to do that. And I think one of the things, again, in, in, in organizations and, and business is that there's this perception that I start on, you know, uh, I start on August the 12th, 2021. And by August the 12th, 2023, I've got to be a senior salesperson, or I've got to be a manager, or I've got to be a team leader. And then by August the 12th, 2025, I've got to be a manager. And if I don't do that, then I've failed. And that's rubbish. You know, there's so many people that are brilliant practitioners in whatever they do. And that's all they want to do. And they're experts at that. If you start taking them out of that role and Dropping them into the management swimming pool where they drown or bob up and down at best, you know, it fails the individual, it fails the organization. So I think, you know, again, it's incumbent on organizations and leaders within organizations to recognize those people that want to do something else and those people that want to remain the backbone and the spine and the, the people that keep an organization going because of their ability and desire to want to do that. Absolutely.
1: I have truly enjoyed this discussion. Before we sign off, how can our listeners reach out to you?
0: Well, they can uh, look at the website, which is DTA. I was going to say WWW, but everybody knows that now. don't they? So it's <laughs> DTA, DTA And on there, you can uh, also get a link to get a copy of the book. Um, Team Performance, Why Can't We All Get Along? It's free. It's a real book. It's not a downloadable. We'll post it to you. And you can also find out on there some of the other things that um, we do around emotional intelligence and leadership. There's a couple of other uh, interviews I've done with uh, a local TV personality, which nobody in the world would know unless you live in Australia. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, dtaworldwide.com, best place to go. And please reach out, get a copy of the book. and. Would would love to be able to send you a, a free copy, a real paper book which comes into your into your letterbox. I like paper books.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. You don't take any of those these days. I know. Thank you, Malcolm. Thank you, Denise. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space podcast. Learn more about your host at dcavirtual.com or by emailing her directly at Denise at dcavirtual.com.